even as like um, like we're the number one Mannheim seller, and everyone thinks like whoa, 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 we just whoa, don't whoa, get whoa. charged. One second, what do you mean by that? What the number one Mannheim seller? You're the number one Mannheim seller in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, wholesale. Shut up. Single location. Yeah. Wow. Well, any location no doesn't even matter. Yeah, nobody else is selling fifteen hundred cars a week. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Chad Cunningham is an automotive wholesaler at wholesalechad.com and a part of Give Me the Vin, the world's largest auto wholesaling business. This was a ridiculous conversation in the best way possible. We discuss how he decides how much a vehicle is worth, how many cars Give Me the Vin sells per week, what cars he avoids, the time he lost his pants on 98 Teslas, and accidentally building a 140,000-person Facebook group for car buyers and sellers. Pretty crazy list of topics, right? But before we get into the show, this episode is brought to you by Fullpath. Wasted data is a serious issue in automotive, but data is the key to driving revenues, which means some dealers out there are just ignoring a gold mine that is staring them in the face. Let's face it, most dealerships are completely overrun with data silos. None of the data sources are integrated with each other, leaving the data as a jumbled mess instead of a clean set that could be turning into cash. Fullpath solves this by gathering, cleaning, and sorting your data into one platform so you can use it to speak to your customers' needs with killer AI-powered marketing campaigns. My friends over at Fullpath are breaking barriers, and I'm really excited to have them as a partner of the podcast. I believe in their product and, more importantly, in their mission to help dealers grow. Fullpath can help you turn your data into dollars. Find them at fullpath.com. All views of Car Dealership Guy and guests on this podcast are solely their opinions. None of the views expressed should be treated as financial advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Chad Cunningham on the pod. Chad, welcome. Uh, I want to get started with how did you get into wholesaling? What's your background? I think lots of people are interested to know. You do this at a large scale nowadays. So tell us how you start. How you got started. Uh, I did grow up in the business a little bit. My dad had a used car lot. It was like a buy here, pay here. So we did like a lot of cheap cars. And then uh, it kind of turned into like a cheap cash lot. Like we'd keep five to $10,000 cars. Um, he sold it when I went off to college. I always tell people basically, so I wouldn't do it. I'm pretty sure. Like it was like, I'm going to remove this option. So there's no danger of him. My parents didn't want me to get in the car business. So why, wait, why, um, why is that? Tell me more about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, the car business is tough. Like it's a grind. I think in their mind, it was kind of like, oh, well, you should go be an accountant or a weird that was going to be a pharmacist at one point, like something like that, where it's like, you know, get out of this crazy car world. Like it's, you know, it's tough, it's hard, it's long hours. Um, but I loved it. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I was good at. So in the summers during college, I started working in a new car store. And then uh, I started full time afterwards and ended up, I was like a GM at a Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. I did all the, you know, I worked all the way through. I was like the ultimate, like, hey, this job's open. Like, I'll do that. You know, it was like new car, used car manager, finance manager. I really did everything but service. I didn't like service. I mean, I've worked a service lane a couple of days and I was like, this isn't for me. Like, that's the one job I didn't really do. But uh, GM over store, I went to be GM over the biggest Toyota store in the area. Beeman, we were doing like 500 new Toyotas. Um, and really, it was when I started talking about having kids, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, how's this going to work? Like, I'm working six days a week and 12 hours a day. Um, I ended up just going to auction randomly with my dad. Like he was still kind of working a little bit. And I ran into like the guy in town that ran the big wholesale company, Steve Brewster. 
And uh, he was asking what I was doing. And he's like, I have this new idea. Like, you'd be perfect. Like, if you want to do something else, like, we should talk. So uh, I ended up going in for an interview. I, I left my other job. I've never, like, interviewed for a job. I have a job. I ended up going back telling the other guys, like, this isn't working. Like, it's just not for me. I left. And I called Steve. I set up an interview. And uh, the funny story I tell everybody, I went in in, like, a suit. And uh, they're all wearing like hoodies and t-shirts and like shorts. And it's like, I was like, what is this? Like, you know, I'm sitting there with like, they were a pretty big wholesale company even then, like in our area. And it's like, you know, Steve and the CFO. And it's like, they're all just like, I mean, they literally look like they could have been playing basketball or something. And like, I'm in like a full suit. And uh, that's how much I knew about how the wholesale world operated, I guess. But uh, yeah, no, I, uh, no, no suits in the car business. <laughs> yeah yeah well there, well there was for me then I, retail back then it was like everybody was decked out so but right away i just really liked it you know i was i mean fairly successful retail like i was running big stores and it's like you think you understand wholesale and like within two weeks it was like whoa like this is like a whole world like i didn't even know existed and you know one i like really enjoyed just the way it worked and two it's like man, there is a way to like make a living in a car business that isn't retail. And I didn't really know that existed either. So uh, I was kind of hooked immediately. And now I'm like a wholesale lifer, I guess. Like it's it's a different world, but I love it. Like it's, I know you were talking to Jake about it kind of like the car business is like the stock market. Like wholesale trading is like the ultimate car stock market. Like that's how I feel like it is. Like it's always changing. Like it's always on move. So. It works for my brain. I love it. Let's dig into that because I'm super curious myself. I've been in retail my whole life. You know, I never made it to the dark side like you. Um, but I think it's one of those <laughs> things where, you know, the grass is always greener. The wholesalers want the retail margins, but they don't want the retail headache. The retailers want the wholesale, I don't want to call it ease, but simplicity, you could say. At least it looks like it from the outside. But we don't want your margins. And so <laughs> I think I want to understand, g give us a detailed breakdown of just the wholesaling process. Like for people that are listening, what does that actually mean? And really from the moment, you know, you acquire a vehicle or even before that, give us like an overview of that process from pre-acquisition to sale of a vehicle. Sure. And like we're selling, so like the last two companies I worked for, we're mainly selling at auction. So it's like, that's how we're distributing them is like we're large auction sellers. So is there a reason for that? Like why auction? Efficiency. You know, it's like right now we're selling... 1300 to 1500 callers a week, which is really a day. We're selling them all on Wednesday. And like at an auction, we can do all that in four hours efficiently. You know, it's quick, it's efficient. Like if I was trying to hand sell 1400 cars to dealers, like it would, it would be almost, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a totally different setup. The auction is just very efficient on the sell side. So, so to br break down that process to us. So, on the buy side, like you basically have like three tranches. Like it's like you're buying from consumers, you're buying from dealers, and you're buying at auctions. And then within the auctions, you've got, you know, all the different lanes and sellers and dealers and fleet and repos and everything else. Um, so you're sourcing the cars on the front side, and, and all three of those transactions are very different in like what time it takes and everything else. So you got to buy the car. And then you got to pay for the car, you got to transport the car. So it's like, you're going to buy it, you're going to do the paperwork, whatever's involved, you're going to pay for it. 
you're either going to get a title then or they don't have a title, so you're waiting for the title. Or if you're making a payoff, you're paying off a lien holder and following up on the title. So it's like on the front side, you got to pay for it, make sure you have a title coming, then you got to transport it to the auction, get the car checked in, get it inspected, get it marked for recon, do whatever recon it needs, make sure it has pictures, make sure it has good pictures. Check this in condition reports because it's like you have all these guys writing these different condition reports and like some of them go both ways. Like some of them, it's like, why they missed this tailgate torn off the truck. And sometimes it's like, why do I have a 23 Ferrari with a hundred miles? They march as a full repaint. Like it can be anything on both sides. So make sure they're inspected, make sure all that's good. Make sure your picture is good. Then you got to like prep for the sale, get the run list together and mark what you have titles for, don't have titles for all that good stuff. Um, then you got to sell them. And then all that gets sold on one day a week on a Wednesday, 1500 cars. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About four hours. So basically like we log in at nine 30 and it's going to run till about one 30, six lanes, four hours. And they, they pretty much all get sold. We sell 98% year round. So if we run 1400, 1500, we're going to sell 1450. We're going to sell about all of them. How many cars do you expect to profit on, lose? Like, what's the ratios here? So it varies. Um, we tracked it harder at Wholesale Inc. And we didn't we didn't sell as high a percentage. So it's Wholesale Inc. being the previous company you worked at, right? Previous company, yeah. We, tra- we actually tracked that hard. Like, that was like a metric we really watched. And we ran probably a higher percentage there of wins because our sales percentage was lower. It was a little different model, but like we would try to win 80% of the time. Um, sometimes a year we could win 85, 90. Um, some buyers won 90 all the time. Some buyers won 70 all the time. Like there's different buying philosophies among the buyers. But if we ran 80 ish, 75 to 80 was like a good number. We don't track it as give me the bin because we sell them differently. Like it's kind of, our model is like selling them. So it's almost like we don't want to see anything that like slows them down from selling them. But I would say the numbers are the same. Like I've ran mine. It's maybe a little lower, 75%, you know, so you're winning 75, 25. And what's considered winning? Like making a dollar of profit? Anything. Yeah. Green number, like a hundred mm-hmm. bucks. Like that's, yeah. I mean, just as far as like a profit, like a green number versus a red number, I mean, I don't really consider a hundred dollars winning like it was like that, but that's you know that's like a profit versus a non. But that's a great yeah. number. Yes. What's the biggest win you've ever had at auction, like profit wise? Uh, I mean, we've done a hundred a few times. I mean, that's rare, but like on some of the expensive cars. I mean, we've made a hundred, one hundred five, one ten. Just to be clear for anyone listening, a hundred thousand dollars on one thousand. Yeah, yeah, like a hundred thousand, one hundred five, one ten. What type of car would that have been? Uh, like we had a Ford GT do really well last year, two years ago. Um, Ferrari had a long wheelbase Phantom one time. That, like we, you know, just really ran off from what we thought. Uh, normally like exotic stuff. Where did you source those cars? Uh, they were pretty much all consumer buys. I'd say like got it. Um, as far as like biggest winners, I mean, there's good and bad with consumer cars, but most of the time, like. For a car to really run off that far, it's going to have to be like a totally unmarketed car previously. 
So it's normally like a one to two owner consumer car, like nobody's ever seen before. It's like the first time yeah. you bring it to market. So yeah, that's wild. Now let's flip the table. I mean, what are some of the biggest losses you've taken? Oh, I've had some, I mean, the same. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know if I've ever lost a hundred on one car, but I've lost 50 a couple times. Oh man. Um, like I remember the one that like really sticks out is when the 18 GT2 RSs came out, the Porsches. We were selling those and we were making like 30, 40, 50 a pop pretty frequently. Like we were really doing well. They were selling 250, 300 over. And then we kept two for retail. When I was, we, we did some retail wholesaling too. And like for my part, I was like, eh, I don't know, let's not do this. Like this is risky. Like these cars could fall off. But like sure enough, like the market turned on quickly. And I think we lost. 60k on one 75k on one and like i mean this was like in weeks it wasn't like we had them like that long so wow that happens like especially the highline cars like the the swings even like i tell people one of the most interesting things if somehow you could show people is like when we sell exotics on wednesday it's like a cardiac arrest on the profit line it's just like you know, I mean, they'll be like up five, down 10, up 15, down four. Like when you sell them like that, like they just fly all over. And even like week to week, month to month, it can be that way. Like they can really move when you're selling them that aggressively the way we are. Like the profits can go both ways really fast. How do you make money in this business consistently? Or like, how do you have any predictability? And especially, you know, we've had such a, a dynamic market to say the least, right? Yeah. 2021, we were rising and I'm sure you made a boatload of money then because uh, everything you held, the longer you held it, the more money you made in theory. And then 22, we had a, you know, more so declining market or more than usual. Went the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Straight down. And so, and so given what you just said, like, how do you, how do you manage through that on a consistent basis? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I mean, like the wholesale business is hard. Like you talked about on the front. So I think a lot of people from the outside, I look at wholesalers like, oh, you are the guys at the auction in the shorts and t-shirts. Like, yeah, that looks easy. I want to do that. It is complicated, but it is also like a, it's like the sum. Like for me on a sell day, like I look at it as a day, as a week, as a month, as a quarter, as a year. I very rarely am down to like car to car because there's always variance in the car to car. Like I don't really worry about like if I sell my team sells a couple hundred cars this Wednesday. If the profit number is really good, like I'm not just drilling the crap out of a couple single cars because sometimes you can like figure out why something happened, but sometimes just like, Oh, it wasn't the right day or, you know, the car before it ran off. And so we, yeah, that second car kind of dipped, but it was like part of it might've been because of the car before it was just like, took off to the moon and sometimes it like takes everybody a minute to like collect themselves. So, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to do it that way. Even like month to month, like, you know, some of the stuff's going to happen in the car business. Like, you know, some of the season out, or you know, what's supposed to happen. Um, but wholesale cars kind of like stock market, like it doesn't always happen the way we think it's going to happen. So it's like, you're just kind of riding it out. Like sometimes, like my philosophy, I was always taught is like you buy all the time. If you buy all the time, you're fine. Like when you catch the market on the upside, like great, you have cars. Like you're kind of always averaging yourself in. And that's the way I look at it. It's like 
there's going to be some wins and losses, but like if we do our job and like me and my team like do a good job buying, like the wins are going to beat the losses because typically the market does move up more than down. Like you've seen the Mannheim little chart. Like it looks like this, not this. So like if you just kind of stay in it and know what you're doing, like it typically does move up. Like there is sometimes like 2022, like it's rare for the market to move straight down for a year. And yeah, like it wasn't as good as 2021, but like it was still a good year. Yeah. Like there's still ways to make money when the when the when the market's technically coming down. So it's just kind of staying in it all the time. And that way it's not different from retail either. It's like you really gotta be in business all the time. Like you're always buying and selling. Yeah, you gotta play the long game. Like one thing like we did good this year is you know, coming into the end of the year, like the market had fallen the whole year, like coming into the end of twenty twenty two. And I feel like it was like a pretty negative vibe overall. And there was a lot of people that were like, oh, it's just going to keep falling through the floor. Like we were kind of the opposite. It's like, okay, what's well, it's fallen from, a, from, from way up here. Like this has never happened in Mannheim recorded history. I think we need to put an emphasis here on something though. I don't think people realize how, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I don't think people realize just how much vibes impact sales at vehicle auctions. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The <laughs> auctions are so momentum based. Like it's wild. Like, oh my goodness. It's, it's just like people, it's, it's, a, it's a market where people watch other people. It's very emotional. So it's so much, it's so much driven based on, well, it's, it's the big players too. It's like CarMax. Like when people start seeing CarMax banging away, it's like automatically some of the other big guys are like, hey, if CarMax is buying, like it's time to buy. And then AutoNation's buying. And then the Sonic guys are like, dang, these AutoNation stores, you know, and then the guy down the street's buying. Like it is, it is a follow the leader mentality. And like, that's what happened. It's like the car, one of the inventory was shorter than people expected. Like, I don't think people thought about the used car shortage enough. But it's like all of a sudden there's no cars and all of a sudden people are buying. And I think it's coming into spring and the dealers were like, oh, crap, like we got to get in on it. And it was it was like wildfire. It was like, boom, like biggest Mannheim increase month out of nowhere. Like it was literally out of nowhere as far as a lot of people were concerned. But we were like a little early, like we felt it like it felt like it was coming. Um, so we were really aggressive, had a great start to the year. So that worked out good. Yeah, look, I think that it's just understated how much emotions do impact pricing in the car business. And to your point, why we think that, you know, everything's become algorithmic and Carvana has their computers buying cars and whatnot. The reality is that there are still humans controlling much of this behind the scenes. Uh, in many cases, they're on the front lines. And you're right that it, it does really impact buying decisions. And I think a good buyer is a, a disciplined buyer, at least from my experience in retail, having bought lots of cars in the past. It was always about being disciplined, knowing when to stop and not to chase that bid to the point where you're making a mistake. I do want to go back to one question specifically, go back to the economics of the wholesale. So how much profit are you expecting to make on average on a car today when you wholesale a car? So like normal cars, um, and I say like normal cars to me is like anything under 80 grand, you know, like it can be a $20,000 Tacoma to an $80,000 Tahoe. And those still vary a little bit, 
because it is kind of you expect to make a little more margin on the more expensive cars, but also not always. Like we will buy an eighty thousand dollar Tahoe to make five hundred, just like we will a eight thousand dollar Tacoma. Um, but that's I mean, you want to make I mean a thousand number a thousand's a great number. You know, like it can be a little better than that sometimes. I think it is in a way, like wholesale margins are both more and less than people think. I mean, that was like straight up, like one of the main reasons, like the thing that like drew people into like when we sold Wholesale Inc. I mean, I can still remember sitting in the meeting is like they can see our numbers, but they also had the Mannheim arbitrage numbers that like we didn't really have any part of. And they're like, wait, you're advancing these cars $2,000? Like just auction to auction? Like with very, you know, with like... What does that mean? Most people don't think that's possible. Like if we were paying an average of $22,000 for a car at one Mannheim auction, we were selling at the other auction for $24,000. How? Just being, you know, knowing the arbitrage, knowing what we could buy and sell. Like some of it's regionally, um, some of it's just, seller or some of it it's like it's just knowing that market like it's knowing what you can buy here and then move it to here and sell it so a function would you say it's like a function of just regional arbitrage and then your brand being a consistent you know loyal seller on a week on a weekly it's basis it's a little bit of both like it's like you're you're knowing what to buy so it's like in my mind it's always like we're trying to get them cheap you know Cheaper is not even really the right word. It's just knowing the right stuff to buy in certain markets and from certain sellers. And then it's basically bringing them and selling them. Like, And we're getting like a little premium. Um, but it's really not the sell side. Like To me, it's like GMTV doesn't make money now because we sell them more than anybody else. Hell, a lot of people tell you we sell them cheaper than anybody else because we sell them so aggressively. It's just doing a good job on the sourcing buy side. That to me is like the trick in the wholesale. It's like you've got to be a really good buyer sourcer of cars. And it's in retail it is like that. Like it's the, the profits made on the buy. Like if you buy the car right, your job's essentially done. And if you buy it wrong, like you're also kind of essentially screwed <laughs> right away. Like it's like you all, you know right away. So And how many days do you keep a car in hand? Uh uh, give me the van. It's not long, 10, 14, probably the average. You know, I mean, we're selling most of them within like 10 days. Like we're moving them very quickly, like 10 to 14 days. Um, wholesale Inc., we kept them a little longer, but still not that long. Like our average day would be like 20-ish um, just because they're what we'd have a retail component. It's so like our retail was mixed in there. It was a smaller component. Um, and we did, we did not sell as high as a percentage. So it's like more of those cars were getting carried to like, as a no sell. Um, but like right now it's 10 to 14 days. I mean, there's some old ones in there. There's ARBs and recon cars. And seems like the bottom line is your average margin on a car is like 1%. Yeah. As a percentage, like it's not, it's not great. Like that was always kind of same thing. Like one of the things like when Rumble on bought us, like, it was like they were so big on like the margin number. It's like they're wanting to run these like, you know, eight to 10% margins on wholesale. And it's like, I mean, we can't do that. Like I can't make $3,000 every time on a yeah. $30,000 car. Like it's just not always going to be that way. So I think the magic question is uh, 
How, how'd you negotiate those Mannheim fees, those auction fees? <laughs> you don't have to answer that one if you don't want to. <laughs> I mean, the thing with Mannheim and auctions, like I tell people, it's like, I don't think it's that hard to figure out. It's like, you just do a lot of business. And then like, it's like, it's like anything else. Like whoever, like to me, it's like, you think of Mannheim like a vendor, like any vendor you have, like market or whatever, like you're basically trying to, you know, do more business with them and like negotiate whatever deal you can. Mannheim's the same way. Like the more business you do, the more you might be able to negotiate a little bit um, I will say I don't I don't think things are ever the way they think people that like Mannheim is still pretty similar. Like even as like um, like we're the number one Mannheim seller, and everyone thinks like whoa, 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 we just whoa, whoa, don't whoa, get whoa, charged. Whoa. One second, what do you mean by that? What the number one Mannheim seller? You're the number one Mannheim seller in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, wholesale. Shut up. Single location. Yeah. Wow. Well, any location, no it doesn't even matter. It can be like nationwide. Yeah. Nobody else is selling fifteen hundred cars a week. Like that's what's Holland's head selling? Uh he sells like four or five hundred a week. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I didn't know you're number one. Yeah, we moved up there, I guess three, three years ago, two, three years ago. Wow. So I mean Holland's head was forever. Like that's who I grew up watching. Like that was like I was hooked on wholesale, but I will say like that was like a huge hook and like Bob's been super helpful for me. Like why he spent so much time answering my questions on the phone, I don't know, but God bless him, like he was super helpful. Um, but like going up there when they were running like six, seven, eight hundred cars and like watching them hammer every car and sell those high dollar cars, like that was like a huge motivation for me. Like that was my big like my whole platform at Wholesale Inc. was like, let's beat Holland's Head. Like, that was like the one goal. It was mm. like, I want to beat Holland's Head. They've been number one for 20 years. Like, somebody's got to beat them. Like, we can do it. Yeah, and for the audience listening, right, like Holland's Head is, uh, is a guy named Bobby Holland's Head, one of the largest auto wholesalers in the world. Used to be the largest based on what you just said. So that's uh, super impressive, and congrats on that. I want to talk more about, when you spoke about specific cars in this business, I'm super interested. So... Are, are there any specific cars you focus on or any specific types of uh, acquisition channels? For example, do you like to chase uh, sourcing from consumers more than you know other places because it's more profitable? Are there specific segments of cars that are typically you can make more money on them? How do you think through that? Or do you just acquire anything that comes to you, you put a number on it, no matter what car it is? Yeah, I mean, we will number anything. So it's like, same thing. Like, we'll take any car... I mean, there's definitely in our mind, like better or worse cars to buy, but we'll still number them all. Like, it's just what you're going to be more aggressive on. As far as sourcing the cars, there's good and bad every situation. Like consumer cars are great in a way, but they also are the most time, you know, they take more time. They take more effort. Just dealing with direct consumers can be a bear, just like. It's like reverse retail. I mean, that's one thing like I'm sure like a lot of retailers would be like, hey, some some customers are great. Some of them like make us want to jump off the building. And when you're buying cars from consumers, it's the same thing. Like a bunch of them are awesome. But some of them, it's like, oh, my gosh, like we did everything we were supposed to do. Like we got everything set up. And now like we're trying to get this car picked up and like the guy's just being terrible to the transporter or whatever the car somewhere like there's always problems 
Um, and of course, you got to have a ton of capital because you got to pay, make all the payoffs and everything. I mean, consumer buying is like insanely capital intensive because of the payoffs, unless you're just like not going to do payoffs. That's one thing like in the dealership world, like a lot of people are like, we should just buy more consumer cars. It's like, yeah, have fun with that. Like, it's pretty tough. Like, it can be easy with like your local customers, but like getting past that, it can be pretty complicated. Um, I love dealer cars to me, like buying dealer cars is like my retail fix. It's like, I get to talk to all the retail stores. I'm involved in the deals. Like, it's like, it's kind of like getting to go sit in the tower for a day and like get my fix of like retail life. A lot of stores that sell us cars buy from us on Wednesday. So it's like this constant kind of cycle. So, I mean, dealer cars are great too. The auction cars I haven't done in a while. We do have guys that buy from auction. Like I just haven't done it in a while. The auction thing is just like a rare grind of like, you know, I'm going to show up at Mannheim PA today. They're going to have 10,000 cars. I'm going to bid on 400 of them and hope I get 15 or 20, whatever the number is. Like it's, it's a huge, to me, it was always just like a volume game of like, I'm going to bid on as many cars as possible. And I'm just trying to catch the ones that like fall through the funnel. How do you appraise cars that you buy? How do you do that? Uh, so we use AccuTrade. Like it's just like a tool like V-Auto or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's like we're looking at AccuTrade. Like, you know, we look at Carfax, AutoCheck. I look at Mannheim. I look at, used to be NADA. Now it's JD Power. I check retail comps a lot more than I used to. Like it used to be... Like I grew up, it was just book buy. I was taught buy by the buck. Like we use Black Book, mm-hmm. look at Black Book, MMR doesn't matter, retail doesn't matter, whatever. Like just look at Black Book, that's it. But I do think it's got harder. Like over time, like I try to look at everything. Like it's like depending on the car, it's in ADA or it's MMR, it's going to check retail listings. I do a bunch of classic stuff too. So then it's like you got to check BAT or like, you know, the. Bring a trailer, yeah. Yeah, or the, uh, I've got like a little auction. What is it called? A uh, hammer price where it's like you can look through like all the like Sotheby's and like Bear Jackson or whatever. So, um, there's a lot more to look at. You got to look at a lot of stuff. Would you say this business is, or at least the valuation, the appraisal part is not extremely process driven and, you know, experience does really matter? Or would you say that's not really true? It is process driven. Experience adds a touch. Like, how do you think through that? Because you're one of one in a sense. You're the largest wholesaler in the world. But scaling this thing and thinking about how to, you know, systematize it, my brain always thinks about these things. It just seems like a very tough task given the fact that someone is spending big dollars on every single purchase acquisition. And it just doesn't seem like there's, you know, this one kind of one stop method to for valuing a car from a wholesale perspective. It's both. It is hard. I think that's one thing at least like everybody's kind of learned that like it just hasn't worked out yet is just you can't you can't buy cars from a machine only everybody's tried it like it just doesn't work like it, there's just too much nuance in a car like trying to teach a mas- machine the difference in cars is just really hard but you do need the machines to do volume so it's like the combination of the tech and the pricing tools and everything else, but you do need to follow it up with humans. Um, Like CarMax is a great example of this. Like to me, like CarMax is like the ultimate car buyers. 
They're big retail buyers. They're big wholesale buyers. But it's still based on humans. Like it's they're taking a bunch of technology and they're basically putting a human behind it. And to me, that's kind of how it works. And like that's what we do at Give Me the Bin and like what I do personally with my team. It's like, you know, we have the lead generation, we have the websites, we have the pricing tools, we're giving numbers on the spot a lot of times, but there's always humans behind it, following up on it, like making sure the numbers are correct and kind of negotiating out the differences or whatever. So it is, it's tough to scale because you do have to do both. And it's like, you're going to need good technology and you're going to need like good pricing tools, but you're also going to need like a lot of like real buyers because up to this point, I mean, short of like AI really taken off or something, no computers have been able to buy cars profitably. Like everybody that tries that pretty much fails miserably. It's kind of like the Zillow home buying thing. It's just like, it's just losses. So how do you explain Carvana then? I mean, we can, you know, we could dispute their margins and whatnot, but they obviously have a very big chunk of their purchases made by computers. How do you, how do you explain that? They're doing the same thing though. Like they have a buying room full of a ton of buyers that are behind the scenes. Like, and I would say just from dealing with people from Carvana, like I don't want to I mean, I don't work there, so I'm not like getting in their business, but like from an outsider's perspective, they put more human touch on that over time, not less, because when they just turn the machines loose full speed, they did lose a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So it's like over time, they have had to put like more human touch on it. And even still, that's probably like the one place like, they have room to go that could really help them is like, to me, like they get a lot for a car and they, you know, they, they do a lot of things really good. Like they mm -hmm. actually do get a lot for a car. They get a lot on the financing. Like they get a lot of product. They're pretty good on the sell side. If they could like get the acquisitions, like a little more honed in, like they could actually probably do pretty well, but it's like, they just go so far in each direction. Like it's like when they're in COVID, like they just crank it all the way up. And then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> you know, the market turns, they have too many cars and everything else. And then it's like, they pull back too far. And then, you know, it's, it is, but it's hard. It's very hard. Like I do get that. Like what they're trying to do to me, like in my lifetime, like the two craziest things that I've seen are like Tesla and Carvana. Like what they're trying to do, like if you would have set us down and been like, 10 years or 15 years ago, I'm be like, hey, um, this new electric company is going to start out of the ground, like from nowhere. Mm -hmm. Now, they're not going to be Ford, not going to be Jim, and they're going to get to where Tesla is now. I'd have been like, no, nah, it's not going to happen. And like the same thing with Carvana, if you've been like, hey, there's going to be this online company, they're going to start from absolutely nothing. And in five years, they're going to sell... 500,000. Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I know they got the I mean, ugly, you know, they got the drive time thing, yeah. whatever. But you know what I mean? Like they, what they've done is wild, but they've, uh, the sourcing thing, I think they, there is more humans involved than I think maybe some would realize. And I do think they've realized they, they have to do that because if they just turn their machines on full speed, 
they will go even more broke than they have been before. Mm -hmm. And they well, speaking of Tesla and Carvana and just consumers in general, I'm really curious to know. You've bought and sold just tens of thousands of cars. What cars would you tell consumers to stay away from, or, or are there specific cars that you just you always lose money on, and it's not necessarily because of the value, but it's just because the car is you know a piece of shit? Like, what comes to mind when I say that? I mean, I do generally think like cars are pretty decent overall these days like i think the build quality today on the average car versus 20 years ago is not even close like when i first started buying cars i mean there was a lot of cars that were total trash and now like most cars are pretty good like they're really decent like you're basically just trying to dodge the depreciation holes mm -hmm. and like right now high dollar bmw 7 series is always like the first car that like pops in my mind because it's like first year seven series it's always been a depreciation monster like it's just like oh it's 120,000 msrp and right off the bat it's worth 80 um right now the worst ones are just all these high dollar evs i mean that's the one right now that like really i tell people it's like man you buy one of these high dollar evs like you better like it. Like you better want to own it. Cause if you go to sell it pretty quick, like those the depreciation numbers are like nothing I've honestly seen. Like we're selling these 23 Mercedes EQSs, like 23s that sticker for like 120, 130. And MMR is like 65, 70. It's like they're literally selling for half off. Yeah, just to explain that. So you're saying pretty much the you know, manufacturer price is like 130 and the current auction market price that you're actually getting for that car is like half Correct. of what the car sells for brand new. And it's a 2023. Wow. Correct. It may be like, I mean, maybe it's like a little higher on some of them, but I mean, you're talking like 30 to 40% depreciation. And like the new, all those some of those Audi e-trons are the same way. It's like you'll look up and it's like, you know, we'll be running a 22, 23 and we're trying to get 65, 70 K and like, I'll pull a sticker when it's on the block and it's like 135 and it's like, Oh my gosh. Like, wow. Um, those cars have just, it just doesn't seem like there's demand yet. And they're building a bunch of them. Like there's quite a few on the ground. So those have been pretty scary short time. And I general and pro Tesla, like I'm an Elon Tesla guy. Um, and they've been good pieces. Like I've done really good with Teslas over the years. Um, they did get really scary when they, you know, like jacked the MSRPs way up and they backed them way off. Um, I mean, there was some wild Tesla numbers coming through for me, like kind of same thing. Tell me about that. Like, Tell me about it. I'm really curious. Did you have any Teslas on hand when that happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. We had... Um, so we were rolling along with the Teslas. Like we we've done we do well with Teslas. Like I buy a lot of them. Like give me the Ben buys a lot of them. Um, we were selling fifty to a hundred Teslas a week, and when that whole thing happened, um, you know it takes us still even like as quick as we move them. Like there's there's two weeks, two three weeks turn. So. We probably had three hundred of them bought up when they did one of those big price cuts. And, um, I mean, we, that was one of the worst lost couple weeks we had, like on a segment, like just to just, I mean, there was probably a week we sold a hundred Teslas and I bet we lost on 98. Wow. Like it was just like a straight beat down. 
Um, but that was just so unprecedented. Like, I mean, they were ripping those prices down like 10, 15, 20%. But then like when they ripped those numbers down, I mean, we were getting people, you know, they'd have a 22 model S plaid with a 168 window. They used to stick her for a hundred, like, and now all of a sudden it's worth 90, you know, like they've ripped the price way down. Like everybody was scared to death of them. Um, that was pretty wild. Like that was some of the stuff with like the EVs have been like, I've never seen this before. Like this is really <laughs> wild stuff. So yeah, it was definitely a wild swing. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if car manufacturers take more control and try to introduce more of this direct consumer stuff with, uh, with specifically with EVs. I think that's at least the idea that, you know, yeah, what it's going to be like for changing MSRPs, how that's going to impact the used car market just seems like it adds another layer of risk and opportunity for dealers, wholesalers, and for car prices in general. I think on that note, from your perspective, why do the trade-in offers vary so much by, you know, from wholesalers, right? Like, is it seems like, you know, you're the largest wholesaler in the world. Mm -hmm. um, I want to believe that you have some of the best appraising technology and processes. Obviously, you mentioned you use AccuTrade as one of your tools, but why do offers and prices vary so much? Does that all come down to emotion at the end of the day, would you say? I mean, there's not to like not answer. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons for it. And I think it just goes to show like how varied the whole, how varied the used car market really is. Like, I think people want to feel like, you know, a lot of guys, like, it's like, I know what this car's worth. Like, da, 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 da. it's like, no, you know what it's worth to you. I get that. Like, I'm very, I know what it's worth to me too, but I'm also very, always been very cognizant of like, I don't really know what this car's worth. Like, what it's worth is what, yeah, I know what I'll pay, but what the car might be worth. Yeah, we might be right. Like they may roll a 22 Tacoma in front of me and you, and we may say, hey, that car is worth, I may say 38, you may say 38.5. We may be right, but somebody else may pay 41.5, or somebody else may hit it at 35.5 and think we've absolutely lost <laughs> our mind. And you seem, I mean, the fights over used car values like blow my mind. Yeah. Like, we could start one today. Like you could start it today and you could say, Hey, what is this car worth? I want all the dealers to weigh in and you could type in all the info. And I guarantee you in the comments, there will be dudes wanting to murder each other over the arguments about what these cars are worth. I think the play here, and of course, you know, I, I do agree that from the dealer perspective, I agree that, yeah, like different types of dealers, like if you're a, you know, a Honda dealer and there's a good Honda being traded, yeah, you may want to hold on to that because you have that market of consumers coming to you anyways. But I think the the play here, as far as consumers are concerned, like you said, is, you know, you have a car. Well, yeah, it makes sense to try to sell it to that specific brand's franchise dealer because you're right, they may need that car. And from a, from a geographical perspective, right, are you seeing that different regions in the country just fetch better dollars for vehicles, period? Or does it just happen to be like, hey, in the South, of course, you're going to get more for trucks. In the Northeast, you're going to get better for all-wheel drives. Is it like the standard stuff like that? Or are there specific pockets where you just say, hey, like Florida market right now, I'm just getting more money for my car, so I'm just going to send more cars there? Yeah, I mean, it's both. So some of it is pockets of inventory, you know, just like 
Yeah, four-wheel drive trucks do better up north. Two-wheel drives do better down south. Got it. That makes sense. You know, same for SUVs. Like two-wheel drives in Texas are great. Two-wheel drives in Minnesota, not so great. Um, But there's like more to it. It's like the areas where they lease a lot. And they typically right now there's not lease returns. But like one of the examples is like an area that leases a lot and gets a lot of lease returns Cars, trade-ins similar to those lease returns don't get valued very high because the stores already have those coming in. They have supply. But if you but if you go to an area where they don't lease, those cars are very valuable. Mm. And so it's like if you're trying to trade your 21C class to a store in New Jersey and they've got 100 lease returns coming in every month, they don't give a hoot about that car because they've got a gazillion of them coming in. But if you take it to the guy in Oklahoma who maybe doesn't have any in and he does great with C-Class, like it may be more valuable to him. So mm. there's stuff like that. It can be a lot of things. Like it can really vary. But a lot of it is just that what cars are available in certain markets versus not. Like, like domestics in Detroit. There's always going to be a gazillion domestics in Detroit. And sometimes they're still really strong. But sometimes that market gets a little overfilled and they can get a little soft because there's just too many up there where there may be a huge void in Florida or somewhere like that where they can't get them. Toyotas have always been kind of regional because it's like the Toyota versus Southeast Toyota versus Gulf States versus who's getting the cars where like Toyota. So, so inventory driven, that like you can have like some pretty wide variations. So, um, well, there you have it, folks. 1% margins trade in your car to States that don't do lots of leases. <laughs> the car business is driven by vibes and we're all just winging it. <laughs> I got to tell you, <laughs> that's it that's it vibes baby this, this has been a this has been a hell of an episode but we're not done yet i do have other questions here so as i thought about this episode i was thinking through how do you maintain an edge like this takes cutthroat to a whole new level when i think about the wholesale business and i was thinking about what people here may not know um, at least the audience you know my audience may not know is that you have co-founded a facebook group and the facebook group is called wholesale car club so shout out wholesale car club and I've been fascinated by this group because you have built a essentially a, a marketplace, a two-sided marketplace on Facebook in a group. You have over like 100,000 members and pretty much it's almost like a proprietary lead, lead funnel for you at this point. So just tell us a little bit about like this group. Like how did you start this group? What's the purpose of the group? Traffic. I'm super, super curious to hear it from your perspective, really the, you know, why this group got started and how it's helped you get an edge in this very competitive vehicle acquisition market. So the way it started, um, I actually just wanted to buy a watch. Like I like, I like cars, watches, and shoes. Like that's, I guess my thing. Like it's like pretty much like, yeah, I don't know, you know, but like, I wanted to buy a watch. I wanted to try to get halfway educated about I me. Mean, I didn't know much about watches, whatever. So it's like you search. I don't know how in the world. Somehow I stumbled upon this watch group on Facebook. And it's basically was just a watch group. And it was dealers and consumers together. And... One, I learned a lot about watches. I didn't try to learn it. I mean, I wasn't trying to flip them or anything. It was just like, 
okay, well, here's what I want to buy. And here's like more or less what they're worth and kind of how like you could learn pretty fast. But the most fascinating thing to me is like, there's all these dealers interacting with these consumers face to face. And like, it really benefited both sides. Like the consumers were getting a lot out of it. The dealers were getting a lot out of it. There was really more being shared than I would have expected. And like, there's always like a little brush back with that. Like, you know, the deal, like I get some heat about that. of kind of like, basically like you're letting these secrets out. And then I'm always like, there's not any secrets. Like this is always how it's been. Like it's, it's out there. Like it's kind of, we're not being transparent. Isn't giving away secrets. Like it's just, that's just part of the business. So, um, but it was cool. Like, and I ended up buying a watch from Vadim ran the watch group. I bought a lot of watch from Vadim. Who's, we ended Vadim? Up to, Who's Vadim? He's the other co-founder of the group. So he runs all the motor groups. He's got a bunch of these Facebook groups. And, uh, I was like, Hey, like we could do this for cars. Like this would work. Like, people would love this. Like dealers can get something out of it. Like consumers can get something out of it. Like I'll help put it together. Like basically like, you know, Facebook, I'm not very tech savvy or social media savvy, but like, like, you know, Facebook, I know the car business, like we can do this, it'll work. And uh, he was like, cool, let's do it. And um, honestly, for me, it was just like, this is kind of like a give back thing. Like I can do this, like it's going to help dealers. It's going to help consumers. I didn't really know where it would go from that point. Like I really didn't, I, I can honestly say like, it wasn't like I was like brainstorming some way to create a lot more business. It was just like, this makes sense. This will benefit everybody. And if my general rule is like, if I help other people, normally it comes back, like it works out. So it's like, if I help these other dealers and they'll sell me some cars, whatever, like, great. Um, so we set it up. It's always been a private group. I think now there's like 140,000 people in there. Um, I can honestly say it would be like five, 600,000 people. I'm sure if it was like a public open group. Um, but we've always kept it like pretty tight because of the transactional nature. Like there is a bunch of cars traded in there. So it's like, we kind of want to know who's who it's like pretty heavily modded and we try to, you know, do a lot of reference checks. And do you make any money from the group or really the way you're making money from this is from buying and selling cars through the group? Yeah, I make money from buying and selling cars. Like I purposely have not taken money from the group just because I've always said like, that's not, that's not why I did it. And it's not my thing. Like I make money buying cars. So like, if you want to help me in response to the group, like, great, sell us some cars and like, we'll, do that. And then like one of the ways like we really help a lot of people in the group that I think is like good knowledge for consumers or even for dealers, it works out for everybody is people trade their cars. Like we we're talking about earlier, you go trade your car to your dealer and you feel like you're not getting a fair offer. Like you can send it to us, we'll number it and we'll buy the car direct from your dealer. And your dealer gets to flush out a car. If he didn't give you a good number, you, he probably doesn't want it. So it's like he's either selling it to me or selling it to some other wholesaler, but we number the car, we get the car, we're happy. You get your new car, you're happy. The store gets their new car deal, they're happy. Like it's like everybody wins situation. So um, that's how I make money in the group is just like buying the cars and like helping dealers put deals together, meet some new dealers. Like that's great. Um, we do like we just started taking any money from the group like in the past like six eight months. And honestly, it's mainly just to pay the mods because we did get to the point like 
I mean, in the group now, there's like 140,000 people. It's very active. Like there's usually 120,000 active members, which means wow. like they're pretty much in there every day. Wow. We have a couple hundred posts and then the comments are like thousands. Like it's, it's a lot to keep track of, like to keep it civil. So has anyone offered to buy the group from you? Oh yeah. Like all the time. Like it's a pretty <laughs> common topic. Like we're, I mean, anything's for sale. Like I'm a car guy at heart. Like we would sell it, but it's like, I'm not selling it for like, we'd sell it for like a real offer, but it's like, you know, Chad, what's your vision for this Facebook group, Wholesale Car Club? What's your vision for it? Or do you have a vision or is it just like, let, let it coast, let it bring some leads and let me buy some cars? Yeah. I mean, I like where it's kind of headed, like where it goes in the next iteration. Like, I'm not sure. Like, I like that it's got to where it is now. That's basically like dealers benefit a lot from it. Consumers benefit a lot from it. But I do think it works on both sides. Like it works for the dealers who get to sell the cars and get the customers. And just like some of the dealers you've had on, like, I mean, some of those dealers are super involved in there. And like some of these are high level guys. I mean, these are like owners, GMs, like, guys you normally really can't have access to. And they're like right there in the middle of it, you know, like answering questions, like pitching cars, like working deals. Um, I mean, in some dealers, brokers, whatever, like they've made a living out of selling cars in that group, which is awesome. Um, consumers get a lot of info. They can sell their cars easily. They can buy cars easily. There's just a good feel of like what the real market is. Like you kind of get a, it's very easy to figure out like, this is what this new car is selling for. Like, this is what the, you, because you, you literally see it. Like yep. you see the offers. Like you see, like, to me, that's become like a huge market tool is like just going through the group day to day. It's like, all right, well, I know what these are bringing. I know what these are bringing. I know what new cars are available. I know what's not like, um, so it's like just growing it that way is cool. And then I don't know, like, I don't know where it eventually lands. If it lands on like, We've always been hesitant to take it off of Facebook because there is some ingrained advantages of Facebook and that you're seeing all the real people. And like, we don't allow new profiles. Like there's, there's not a lot of ways to, as many ways to trick it where when you take it off of that, like it's kind of, it's almost like adds a level of protection. Like we'd have to figure out, but no, I think, I think you're smart. I think you're smart for keeping it on Facebook especially the the fact that you're monetizing through actual car sales because you know it's it's tough to get consumers a custom or anyone to a whole new platform uh, i've thought a lot about this but i you know i think that keeping it in there plus facebook's free uh so you know that's another thing to cons you know to think through and it just it, it keeps things you know it keeps them in the ecosystem and it's something that people do check or at least facebook users check back you know on a very regular basis so i do, i do think that's a smart decision you made yeah and it's a uh... It's there, there's pros and cons to it. Like there's definitely some stuff. It's like, like we run auctions in there and it's like pretty, pretty manual, but it like does work. Like sometimes it's like, Oh, it'd be nice to have like run the auction. But like I said, there's, there is such an advantage of like, in a way it is hard to trick Facebook if you're a real person or not, because it's like, you can go see the guy's profile and go back years and years and you know, like it's, like I said, we don't let the new people in there. It's like, if you go to my Facebook profile, like you can learn probably more than I would want to about myself. But it's like, 
you will realize I'm a real person and like this is what I've done for a long time sort of thing. So um, there's good and bad to it. Yeah, for now, like we just kind of keep growing it a little bit and kind of, you know, letting it take off because it has been really successful. And like it's just created so much business for everybody. Like it's weird. Like that's borderline probably what I've become known for as much as anything. It's like, hey, like you run the wholesale car club or whatever. And it's like, I ship cars in there. I do this or I do that. Like we laugh all the time. My wife gets the biggest kick out of like traveling. And it's like, we're running into like valet people or pilot. You know, it's like almost every trip we go on now, somebody's like, oh, holy crap. Like it's the, you know, it's the no Facebook way. car club guy. And it's like, <laughs> you know, wow, I'm in the car. So it's, that's so funny. It really has like taken off in like a weird way. I mean, you know, the I mean, your, your thing is like become a lot bigger than that. And it's like, you know, it's not, you don't really, that's, I mean, my list of goals when I started that was not to be that, like, I'm not that dude. So it's like that part of it's kind of weird, but the helping out people and like feeling like that part of it is great. Cause that was the intention and that's been good. So no, I mean, you guys have been very successful. I think for me, it's been, I never imagined that CDG would be as uh, the, you know, as large as a brand as it is today, at least, you know, online, you could say. There's something, there's something fun, I guess fun, fun is even the right word, about being anonymous because you're right, like I do have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and I don't know if I want that, you know, for someone to see me, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. maybe it's cool the first couple of times, but I think, uh, you know, also coming out with this podcast, I, I, I didn't really care. Like I was, I was anticipating a big flood of, you know, text messages and DMs. Oh, it's you. I was like, yeah, it's me. So like the people that know me know no, this you, is right. me. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and they know yeah. your voice and stuff. And I'm cool with that. But uh, yeah, it's, we'll get to the point where I do like a full reveal. And uh, yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a fun day. But for now, it's, I think, you know, we're rolling with the punches and we're having a good time doing it. So yeah, I think you're smart with the anonymous as long as you can. Well, at this point, everyone in the industry that needs to know who I am knows who I am. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to, once you start doing the podcast and stuff, then it takes a matter of time. Which I'm cool with. And, um, and the funny thing is I, there was a, a Twitter spaces, like a live podcast with Jim Farley, CEO of Ford and Elon Musk. And so I, I clicked to join it the other day and then Elon, you know, brought me up as a speaker. I requested it and it was, it was really funny because I guess Jim Farley thought I was a guy named, uh, Mike, I, I forget the guy's last name, Mike something. And he's like, Oh, yeah. Mike, is that you? And I'm like, and they're going back and forth and, and Mike and, and Jim Farley's to Elon. He's like, Hey, Elon, is that Mike? And Elon's like, I don't know. Is it Mike? And they, everyone starts laughing. And I'm like, Hey guys, I was like, uh, I'm just casually having a conversation with Elon Musk and Jim Farley. And I'm like, Hey guys, uh, I I'm not Mike, but I, but I have a mic. And yeah. yeah. So funny little story from the other day. I'm definitely not Mike for everyone listening. It's been interesting. I've been asked a bunch, like, cause I'll reference some of your posts or whatnot. And like some of it's like online, some of it's offline. It's like, do you know who that is? And I'm like, yeah, I do actually. Like, you know, we've, I'm like, I've become, I'm a good secret keeper <laughs> because I found out pretty early and I didn't smoke it anywhere. So, um, well, I appreciate but it, it is like interesting because I've had a ton of people like that. They're like, oh, it's so-and-so. And I'm like, no, it's not. And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, cause I know who it is. It's not him. Like, you know, people saying it was like, you were like some, like one of them was like, you were a Hendra guy that I knew. Like I and I'm like, I know for a fact it's not him because one, I know who CDG is. And two, I know the other guy and it's not him. So 
Um, but yeah, it's been fun because like a lot that Twitter account like blew up so much that there's been like a lot of like, I'm sure in, in, it's funny because I do understand it's like so many people in their mind, like it's like they, they think they, they just almost put a name with it. Like, oh, it's this person. Yep. And they've been convinced probably like Jim Farley, like he thought you were Mike this whole time. And that's how he reads the tweets. <laughs> like, it's like, you're, you're, you know, right. you're right. Whoever so, Mike is. So shout yeah, out Mike. Shout out Mike. Well, dude, this has been awesome. Um, this learned a lot, lots of really interesting stories. And um, I got to say, like you, your your level of knowledge and depth in the wholesale business is uh, is pretty pretty fascinating. So I think people will love it. In terms of where people can learn more about you, about you know where someone can sell you a car, uh, you know, plug it in. Tell tell us everything we need to know. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. So yeah, if you're selling a car, wholesalechad.com or wholesale chat at gmail.com. I've had the wholesale chat thing for a while now. So Dude, that's the easiest that way to very, find me. That is very meme worthy. I don't know how in tune you are yeah. with the Chad meme, you know, that meme with the guy with the wavy arms and the blonde hair. <laughs> right. That, yeah, you yeah, could make yeah. a you could make a hell of a meme out of that. So yeah, I need to get with you and you could help me out with that. So uh, but yeah wholesalechad.com or wholesale chat at gmail.com. Um, now I've got like a whole buying team that helps me with that. So it's like you know, there's plenty of people working in. I mean, we, we run like a quick sell hour in the wholesale car club where we'll get like sometimes a thousand appraisals in like an hour basically. So like we can handle a lot of appraisals, store sell to us, consumer sell to us. We'll buy, we literally will buy anything. So, um, that part's easy. Other than that, I am on Instagram, wholesale Chad. I'm on Facebook under my real name, Chad Cunningham. So if you want to follow me on social, I haven't done Twitter much. Like it was always such a different platform. Like I'm Twitter for me is like my morning paper. Yeah. Like it's like I get up and I like read just to kind of see what's going on. Um, but I've never been active. So like you find me on there, it's probably like tweets from when I was in college or something. But you know, it's um yeah, that's that's the best way to find me is I, I am active on social. I'm one of the more easy, probably transparent guys on there as far as that goes. So um, and also Car Club, if you want to join the Facebook group, we're in there, CDG's in there. So there's a uh, there's a lot of good car guys in there that share a ton of knowledge. And it's kind of, you know, it's like a lesser version of your Twitter account, I guess. It's like a lot of the same stuff. You know, like if you want to really see, get like some real info and like some real knowledge of kind of what goes on in the business and like watch car people interact with non-car people which to me is like where you really learn stuff like you yeah, learn stuff seeing the real interactions and that's what's crazy about today's time like i tell young people coming up all the time it's like you have so much more exposure to like talk and see these people now like where i was coming up it would have been like call them on the phone i mean i don't even know you got the you know it's like getting the yellow pages and try to call them so um, that part's really cool where we now today, like we can chat, we can have these combos, we can post them for people. And, uh, it's cool. Like I'm, it's, it's a really cool thing you're doing. Like, I'm glad people are getting to see and hear. I think the transparency is good for the car business. I love the car business. I think sometimes it gets a bad name for trying to be like a little old school. And like, I think the new school transparency is good for everybody long term. And if you just kind of embrace that part, there's plenty of business to go around. There's plenty of cars to go around. Like we can nobody's trying to like hurt anybody. Like it's just 
making the, I mean, buying a car should be fun. Like selling your car wholesale should be fun. Like it shouldn't be, I mean, I've helped friends buy cars before and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like this should not be that hard. Like, and, uh, that's all like we're trying to do too. Like I like to do, I like to make it easy. I like to make it fun. Uh, most people to deal with me, that's kind of their, my thing is like, it's really easy and kind of, so it's, uh, that's cool. That's, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. Well, dude, this was great. Thanks so much for coming on. I really had a blast and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode to go live. I think people will love it. And you shared a lot of gems and uh, go wholesale chat. Hey, by the way, I did sell my car to chat. True story. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I, need, to, I need to add that to my profile. CDG <laughs> sold me his car. Hey, he could have sold it to anybody, he sold it to us. So, yeah, was, so uh, I think that's the, the, the ultimate endorsement. Uh, not paid by the way, not sponsored. Uh, but it's the truth. It was just, it was just so easy. I just, I just hit up chat. I'm like, yo, chat, I need to sell my car. Uh, he's like, yeah. yeah, no problem. And just like, boom, boom, boom. We got it done. So super easy and, uh, yeah, highly recommended. So, uh, this was great Chad, Thanks for coming on, man. And, um, we'll talk soon. No problem. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.